Hey, this is Dag, and you're listening to Beyond Trek Podcast. Red alert. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Beyond Trek Podcast. Today, we are in the house with Renzo and Suzanne. I'm Dag. We're here to talk to you about Picard, Season 2, Episode 10, Farewell. Uh, as always, this is your spoiler alert. Spoiler It's over. No more Picard until next year, whenever they oh. decide to release it. But they did season two and three back to back, so I don't know if you heard yeah, about that. Live action filming is almost done for season three, so. Pretty From what I understand, they wrapped. No, it is done. It's already wrapped. They're done. My understanding is they're just doing a couple reshoots now, but they're basically wrapped. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Principal. Yeah. So, so the principal wrapped. Principal. Yeah, yeah. Principal shooting wrapped. Uh, and from an interview that Patrick Stewart gave. Uh, they finished uh, principal on season two at like 7 p.m. one day, and then at 7 a.m. the next morning, they're going into principal on season three. And that was all due to the COVID shutdown. The, the season two was shut down for eight months while COVID was going on. And so you know, it's one reason probably why I don't have a confirmation on this, but it makes sense that Evan Evagora may not have been available as seeing as he is not native to the United States probably would not have been allowed in and they were had to write him out for the majority of that shoot yeah there's also some other benefits to that eight month of delay because it allowed them to prep up a lot of the uh cgi like what's in my background right now those ship designs largely came out of star trek online and it gave them time to create this massive intermingling between the designers of ships from star trek online and the production team for picard which in my opinion bore great fruit agreed yeah, we had, uh, it was kind of, uh, there were a lot of reveals in this, not to be too uh, explicit, um, and a, a really awesome kiss, so, huh? There Scream. will be much discussion about the kiss. Don't I'm worry, sure. I will lead that front. We, I'm ready. Let's yeah, go. I got All right, you. So, let's start with this. We're episode 10, season 2, named Farewell, a very fitting name, uh, and the episode starts... Uh, with Picard uh, talking to Talon and Rios, uh, the stories about the chateau when he was a kid and the bullet holes that he looks at and had been shot up while it was unoccupied by his family, proving to us that this is really a closed time loop, right? If Picard remembers seeing these bullet holes as a kid, then this all had to happen, which changes how we interpret this whole season. So that's a big deal for us. Uh, it also means that when little Picard, Picard as a kid, was running around downstairs and he saw monsters in the walls, what he saw were the Borgified in the wall uh, mercs that uh, Seven beamed into the walls. So his terror from being down in those halls, makes, or in the, the crypts or whatever, makes much more sense now too. Yeah, big time. I actually, I actually had missed that. Now that I think, I, I totally missed that. That's to yeah. It's the mercs in the wall. Wow, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you for that one. <laughs> I totally yeah, no, that. it's it's so timeline stuff, time clouded. travel stuff. Like I've been thinking about it this whole season, being like, how does this make sense? How do they do this? Is this like one of those self-repeating, self-perpetuating time loops where one must happen for the other one to happen, which justifies the other? It's not that. It's actually much simpler. Just a little closed time loop. So, very saves, nice. Saves us all the headache there. Oh, right. that's not complex enough, and you know that. If it was a closed time loop, you wouldn't be able to have a Confederate remains. 
Confederate remains have to come from somewhere. If they come from anywhere at all. Well, they have to. Hugh's imagination, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Well, then that just means that uh, Guinan this entire time has been abiding by the Temporal Prime Directive to not even reveal to Picard that she met him in 1893. Yep. Yeah. I'm down with that. Her species has spent a lot of time around this stuff. Just for the audience, I am working on a YouTube video explaining the timelines in this this season. So it's, uh, it's coming together nicely, and I hope to release it sometime this week. Sick. All right, so uh, we get a little bit more discussion about Rios trying to mull over the prophecy that Gerardi gave him about, like, there must be two Renees, one that lives, one that dies. Uh, so there's still some confusion as to what that all means. Um, Talon, on the other hand, seems to have an idea because you can see in her face she's plotting and planning something, and that's when uh, we get Seven and Rafi showing up. Talon beams them all up with her little servo their cool little whooshy door effect that they've got and they're all back at her apartment uh she gives them some equipment that works as well as their tricorders nothing fancy there they look real cool uh but they are definitely not starfleet issue uh and at this point they start trying to figure out how they say or how they prevent soon from interrupting with the uh europa mission launch so they said they're going to split up. Uh, Rafi and Seven and Rios are going to go to his house. Talon and, and Picard is supposed to go to the house too. Talon wants to go straight to the launch, but at the last second, Picard is like, I'm coming with you, hug. And they beam out together. Classic Picard. It's, uh, it's Very a classic. A, it's a bit of a step, but yeah, it makes sense that he's not going to let Talon go off on his own. So she's going to watch out for Renee and Picard's going to go with her. Uh, yeah. So we get this. Oh no! Just Picard steps in like, like Jillian did in Star Trek Four. Like, oh, gonna go with you. Yeah, very true. It's a very trekky move, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, so, the communications that we start hearing are talking about the launch. We get this like press reporter kind of vibe, like being like, oh, they're about to head out to Jupiter, and at that moment, Talon and Picard appear right outside the base. Uh, and Talon is like, "What the hell are you doing, dude? You were supposed to stay behind. This is my mission." And uh, Card is like, I know what you're going to do. I'm not going to let you do that. I understand what you're trying to do. No. And uh, Talon gives this, like, real impassioned, like, this is my mission. This is why I'm here. I have to make sure she gets through. And if that means costing very high for me, I'm doing it. Um, Did anybody get assignment Earth vibes when we zoomed in on the the rocket and the the lattice and everything? Mm -hmm. That was pretty cool. yeah. Yeah. It's definitely callbacks to that, which I thought was really appropriate. Uh, I actually really liked the fact that they were using, like, Vandenberg Air Force Base for the launch, too, because that's a U.S. Air Force facility rather than, like, an actual NASA facility. But it makes sense if they're putting, like, fear of, in like, somebody getting in, like, something interfering with it. Doing it on an Air Force Base makes a lot more sense than out of, like, Canaveral or something, because it's just much more secure at an Air Force Base. So good call there. It also puts it closer to L.A., which also makes sense because everything in this season has dealt with LA. So, I also really liked the the, the quote that she said. I think it was, uh, "You can't control who you lose, and their deaths are not your fault." I I think that set up the whole episode. I think that set up the whole point. Um, I think that sets up the whole season to be honest. Yeah, the whole point of the season, and I think it it really brought everything and all the crazy timelines and all the like this and this happening back to this one theme of Picard's got to figure this shit out. And I, I really liked that quote. I really liked it. I thought it was a really, really nice scene. 
yeah, I mean, it boils down to the problem with that, you know, has been trying to be resolved for Picard this whole season, right? He blames himself for the mistakes of others. He blames himself for the sacrifices of others. And he has to accept that it's not his fault. He needs to live his life without fear of that. So I think that that little snippet or a couple sentences from Talon really help him uh, get that through his head. And then she says a line that I think is like straight feminist empowerment. I don't need saving. I mm. never have, which I really liked. Yeah, I just think she's neat. I really like um, both Laris and Talon, and I like uh, Orla Brady's performances both. I just thought, yeah, I thought they're both really, really strong characters. Yeah, and I really am impressed by her, like, toning down of her accent when she's doing Laris, or sorry, when she's doing Talon mm -hmm. versus Laris. It's very impressive. Uh, okay, so next scene is at Soong's house. We see Seven, Rios, and Rafi teleport in and they start hearing Soong's voice just talking through like what he's going to be doing uh toting the drones to target the reaction control thrusters and such and they very quickly are like wait a second he's not actually here so they stop the recording and it's like okay so Soong expected them to try and stop here and they're like well if he expected us to try and stop him here there will be booby traps let's 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 be cautious smart choice by our characters makes sense both from Soong's perspective set booby traps and from our characters to like be looking out for them so good internal consistency there um they find these drones that are like in the side of the room there are four of them attached to this one thing and they very quickly realize that if you tamper with them they'll all explode uh which would just kill us and, well that's not great so they start looking around to see if there's any way to get access to them and Rafi goes ask for like find me pliers scissors anything so i can try and get get access to this i loved that uh yeah. about her character because that is very very quintessentially Rafi. i yeah, was exactly. like well i guess we're screwed and her going out oh, no get me some shit from over there and i will figure it out yeah it's, it's very MacGyver it's vibe. very Rafi. it's very it's, Rafi. it's very macgyver vibe to me and i liked it and I saw some complaining on the uh, community about this, about like, well, why isn't Seven doing this? She's the one that has all the computer expertise. She did all the ops stuff on Voyager and Science of the Voyager. And I'm like, yeah, but Rafi's a spy. Spies are real good at breaking into things and like disabling things. Like that's what they are trained to do. Seven mm -hmm. was trained to keep things working. Those are different skill sets. Yeah, that's very true. And I also think that this is one of those things where um, Rafi may have more experience with like different types of technologies in that sense of like you know especially it being not older technology and seven maybe being like ah, i don't know and so you know and yeah. she probably could have but rafi is very much the the one that has she's very much the go-getter i think of the two of sort of just like fuck it pliers let's go i'm just and especially with like the breaking of the window as well i'm just really hoping that the seven at the end of this episode is rejuvenated to before the beginning of the season rather than the seven that we have now with the primitive nanoprobe assimilation. I'm sure that she does go full cycle. Yeah, because the timeline at this point has been restored. I think that personally, well, so, I think that her reassimilation was more of just like a plot point rather no, than no, no, like no. how she it, actually gets her. It was. It's just we have to take into account this is not a 24th century assimilation. This is a improvised 21st century assimilation with 24th century guidance or 25th century guidance so seven's assimilation True. here is fundamentally different even if it, on the surface we'll it looks the same 
we'll see if that comes up next season. I mean, yeah. we know that Seven is back at next season, whereas some other characters sadly are not. But yeah, we Seven may find and Rafi out more. both, I think. Yeah, Rafi, yeah, confirmed as well. Yeah, I heard Michelle heard. Uh, Michelle heard, yes. One fun detail here that I thought was really great. Uh, Rafi goes that she can't get into the system because it's encrypted, but if they had Lassidena, they could hack it in a second. I'm like, awesome, love that. Justify that quantum computing from Star Trek and hack modern systems like basically instantly. Or if Gerardi had been there with her knowledge of like primitive computing algorithms, she probably could have done it too. But uh, Rafi's not that girl. So it's good that she has to take a more hardware approach to it. Makes sense to me. Yeah, next time, get your hardware so that everything's labeled in a language your enemies probably don't speak. <laughs> yeah. Just do it all oh, in Cyrillic. There was also a really uh, interesting complaint that I saw as well about how, like, how did Sung get back to L.A.? He was in France, like, just the same day or the day before. He beamed it to there, but he couldn't have beamed back. I'm like, guys, he's a billionaire. He's essentially Elon Musk in this situation. He Private chartered tech, a plane and flew. They probably have a Concorde now. I mean, Concord sure, but even with a, even with a regular like plane, a billionaire is going to get himself back to LA fast. Yeah. It's not that big a deal. Yeah, he probably yeah. even took took time to take a shower and a nap. <laughs> a nap. He napped on the plane. Oh yeah. All right. So cut back to uh, the launch site, and we've got Talon watching the astronauts uh, make their way to the launch pad. Uh, she's looking around and doesn't see Renee, which definitely freaks her out a bit. Uh, she sneaks herself off into like a changing room, puts on somebody else's clothes, and on her way back out, she sees Sung uh, taking his time around the facility. Uh, at this point, we switch to Sung's perspective, and he's talking to the administrator of the site, trying to like uh, bully his way into getting some time with the astronauts. With all the money I've donated, doesn't that buy me five minutes of FaceTime? And you can see that the administrator's like, uh, shit. Okay, fine. You want to know what's funny right. about this? I, and I, I, I just want to say a tiny bit. Um, I'm a big D&D fan, and somebody online said that Season 2 is more akin to a and d game where Q is the DM. And uh, Yeah. And I was like, true. oh, man, I got to think about this. And then this scene pops up, and Sung is over here making that, you know, intimidation roll with all the money I donate here. Doesn't that buy me five minutes of FaceTime? Intimidate 19 yeah okay she doesn't she doesn't really like you but she realizes her job could be on the line so you she'll get you your FaceTime. yeah that was awesome whose turn that is was yes. a really good thing it's it's again i think it's very realistic to me right like people whine about this but a billionaire who's donated lots of money is gonna get access that should not otherwise be possible that uh, is just the yeah. reality billionaires of don't become billionaires by abiding by limits yeah and also not billionaires are gonna bully pushing. people like that's that's how that's how billionaires work. Always pushing the billionaires the, bully the, people. The boundaries. Yep. So we cut to back to Talon now, who's in this outfit. She goes right through security. Nobody questions it. She's got that like I look like I belong, so people don't ask a question. She marches on into the room where uh, Renee is in there, and Renee immediately goes, "I know everybody on the flight team. I know anybody on the." command and control team and you are not one of them and why are you wearing a friend of mine's clothes oops oops yeah uh, uh, uh i'm gonna really i'm gonna make an ingratiation check i know everything there is to know about you here's some really personal details and if you don't and and, and you you need to 
what's what what was the line from Terminator? Come with me if you want to live. Except stay yeah, right here if you want to live. I'm just gonna say this is a good sign for showing like the intelligence of Renee, which we haven't gotten a lot of this season, right? But somebody who's able to memorize faces and names to everybody on like a mission crew, that's impressive. Well, and it's definitely evolved writing from say the sixties, where you could just show up at a base and be like Hi, I look like I belong, and then the the extras who don't have lines just kind of nod and let it happen. In this case, well, we have an intelligent person who's like, "Huh, no." Well, that's the thing, right? Like we we see that uh, uh, Talon is able to march through the regular security guards without being queried, but our intelligent secondary character is able to figure it out on the dot, right? That is reasonable writing, in my opinion. Uh, so I buy it. And yeah, uh, yeah right. right. She she starts doing this whole like. Uh, hey, I've known you for this long. Like, I, I, I know you. You need to listen to me. And Renee is very standoffish at the start of it. Well earned standoffishness as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, hundred oh, percent. Yeah. Like, it's it's a it's a concern. This is a security yeah. matter. You don't She's become a scientist of that magnitude without exceptional attention to detail. Cut back to Soong with the uh, with the administrator uh, Lee, who's guiding her around. And uh, the administrator says something along the lines of, I never thought this day would come. A very reasonable statement. And we get bullied soon so that he can get himself away from her. Like, yeah, that dude is terrible. And she's like, no, no, no. I, it, it, it's just so much, so much is going on. I just didn't think it would be real. And she, and soon again goes that that's disrespectful and again puts her down, smashing her uh, from his position of like Bezos, Bezosian authority. <laughs> Right? Oh gosh, and, you just uh, coined a word and it's gonna hit and it's gonna be terrible. Bezosian. Well, that's like Faustian. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so it's 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 very realistic to me. It seems on brand for Sung, who's like talked down to everybody he's basically ever met in this show. And uh as a result, he just leaves her there and gets access to the facility and she's just left there kind of pondering, like, do I do I call security? Like, the fuck do I do? And that 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 rings as true to me as well. Yeah, it does. I because I mean, no one, any, anybody with that much money, like even if you suspect suspect something, it's just like, well, he's an asshole, and I don't want to piss him off, and I'm not sure what to do in this scenario. It made a lot of sense to me. Yeah, it's, I thought I thought it was calculated and and intentional. And yeah, creepy. He's creepy. Cut back to Renee and Talon, and now we get this longer conversation about like Talon having been watching her since she was a child. The time that she fell off a boat that capsized in Martha's Vineyard. Uh, you know, you saw me at the gala a couple nights ago, and maybe a dozen other glimpses. But I've been there for your entire life. Uh, you know, when you would look for your mother in the stars, that's what got you into wanting to go into space in the first place, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's a very touching scene that shows just how much Talon cares about her charge, right? And uh, I think that that's a very good scene. I was really happy about like talon getting this moment with her yeah i think i think it's very telling that that talon has this moment of of being able to express her love for someone that she's looked up looked over her whole life and and looked after and and without being able to really reveal herself truly but she couldn't quite help it here and there and and i think that that's it's it's a good parallel to the card's own story later in in the episode it's a very good parallel to that and i think it's 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 very well done 
you know, I hadn't thought about that. The parallel between that and Q. That's a very good point. I hadn't really yeah. put that together. I like that. That makes especially, sense. Especially, you know, and we'll talk about this later, especially that conversation that we they had later about, you know, I finally got to tell this person that I loved them and, and it was wasted if I didn't. And that that was very much to me a parallel of of, of that taught Picard like that's that's what I need to do, type of thing. Mm-hmm. The only thing I wish I could have seen in this scene, though maybe not in this scene, but as like an addendum to this, would have been a moment where uh, Jean-Luc and Rene get to talk to each other again. Yeah. Right? <laughs> oh, excuse me. Yeah, I agree. Or, hmm. or maybe if Jean-Luc had been in the back of the room watching this go on and, <laughs> or something, right? But just to see this go on, I think would have been really good for Jean-Luc himself as well. So I have a question. Yeah. As specific as you want to be or not, but looking for at least a yes or a no, uh, Renzo first. Is there something about your life that a complete stranger could walk in and tell you to get that get you to believe that they are who they say they are and you need to trust them right away? Yes, absolutely. There are so uh, there are moments in my life that very few people know about or things that I've done that you know I don't think anybody knows about, but if they could be like, hey, you need to trust me and they tell me this thing, I'd be I'd be like okay you're for, you're from the future or you're me from the future or something right <laughs> the whole like you're in a time loop you're in groundhog day like there's got to be some way to convince you of this or whatever yeah I, there are definitely ways you could convince me that something like that's going on but that's also cuz I'm a nerd I I mean I don't know specifically but I'm sure that there yeah I mean I'm sure there's 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 a couple it, it would have to be something very specific to like maybe my childhood or something like that it would have to be it would have to be something so specific that it wouldn't be you know like a medical record or a like a therapy thing or whatever it, it would have to be something very specific and internal and you know but i i think that there's that yeah probably and not to say that like you know it would be true i feel like it would be pretty easy to con- <laughs> convince me I, I mean, I feel like it's easy to convince a lot of people that that's the case. I mean, it's a cult, but like that's, I feel like it would have to be something very, 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 very oh, for specific. Sure. For sure. How about you, Dag? What about you? So I'm, I'm an, I'm an uber nerd on this particular question because there are several moments in my life that I have keyed to my memory as lists of things I would tell somebody if time travel was real and they had to go back in time to get me to believe them. I so love yes. That. I have like a bullet point of about eight things right now that I've only ever thought and have never told anybody. Yeah. Just in the event that if it happens, I will tell that person, hey, here's eight things. Tell me this. If it's before 2010, it's five things. If it's after 2015, it's eight things. <laughs> but uh... So both Dark Matter and uh, Legends of Tomorrow have time episodes that are really good. In the Legends of Tomorrow one, the characters there are there are two characters who are huge nerds they love science fiction right so when one of them is stuck in a time loop and he needs to convince the rest of the crew that hey i'm stuck in a time loop he's literally just like dude i'm i'm groundhog daying you told me to tell you this and the guy's like cool all right i'm fucking sold let's go how do i help you what do i need to do to break this time loop for you right that's how i'd want it to be for me there's got to be just that kind of like just tell it to me and we'll go. Yeah, I would agree. I would actually agree with that. I mean, fully. we've yeah. we've all seen Magic to make the sanest man go mad. 
when Stamets walks right up to Michael at the beginning of the next loop and goes, you've never been in love. And she's just stunned. And he's like, yeah, you told me to tell you that because we're in a time loop and shit's nasty. I need you to trust me right now. She's yeah, like, exactly. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's that like suspend disbelief when like impossible evidence is presented to you. Works right. for me. All right, we'll go. Right. All right. So, uh, oh, yes. Um, we cut next to the scene where Picard is watching Sung heading to the astronauts quarters. And uh, we cut back inside that Talon is now telling Renee that all you need to do is board the ship, but you need to trust me. And then we see Renee walk out of the changing room or the prep room, and she runs into Sung, and she's talking about, like, a crazy woman planning to be a guardian from space. And, you know, I don't think that the, the producers really expected us to believe that this was actually Renee, but they put in some effort to make it plausible uh, because the sentence of, guardian from space was literally what talon had just told renee inside the room i think of me as your guardian angel from space right cool cool yep. so it's it's well set up i don't think they expect anybody to really fall for it but uh we continue on with sung taking her and accompanying her to find help they go down a flight of stairs touching her uh, cheek that's Yep, and then he pulls off a layer on his palm that had a neurotoxin, and uh, it'll be fast and fatal. And then off he goes. He's creepy. He's been creepy this whole time. Mm-hmm. I kind of I wish we'd, we'd seen a better demise, but oh well. You know. Yeah, I mean, he gets some just desserts at the end of this anyways, I feel like. I know, yeah, but I don't know. I wish right. I'd, I'd, Yeah. Yeah. Cut back to Soong's house, and we've got the crew uh, hearing that, oh shit, the drones are about to launch staggered. Well, that's smart, because that way we can't stop them all at once. And uh, so they start launching, and Rafi's like rerouting cables to try and get control of things. And uh, then he finally gets control of one drone, the last one to launch, and he's trying to figure out a way as a pilot to destroy all four with it. We see some really neat acrobatics. He's trying to use like what's essentially prop wash, the wash from the fans to knock the other ones out of the air. It's not working so well until he gets one really lucky moment where two run into the other, and then he runs mad, uh, manically into the last one, and all four are destroyed before they make it to the launch site. Cool scene. Not implausible. I mean, it's a little on the, the crazy side that he's able to do that much, but we know that Rios is a damn good pilot, so... I would say, I mean, yeah, I would say it's it's it's... It's an action sequence for the sake of action, and it's also just... It's but, its pretty plausible, considering how good of a pilot he is, but he's also never seen this technology before, so... Right, like, but it's you also have weird. to take into account, you know, the quality of Starfleet piloting skills and, and the ability to pilot in multiple environments. He knew the kind of the kind of machine he was dealing with. He doesn't have to know the, the, the coding or the ones and the zeros. He knows he's dealing with a triprop machine in an atmosphere that's equivalent to 20th century Earth. He's probably had experience on polluted worlds. You know how to fly in one of those things. You know what prop wash is. You know how to you know handle the vectors and maneuvers. And then you just look for an opening. After that, it's all tactical. You've done this a mm-hmm. thousand times in a thousand drills. How do you take out multiple devices when you're one ship? Well, it's a suicide mission. You crash in as many as you can. Yeah, Yeah. two things. Uh, So one thing that the U.S. Navy does teach pilots these days is 
to use their wa the, the wake from their fighters as a weapon if necessary. So when there are fast moving missiles coming towards a fleet, usually the first things to encounter them are fighters. Other fighters launched from a carrier or something, right? Usually those fighters cannot keep up with hypersonic missiles. They are just much faster. But what you can do is fly over them or fly across them and use your wake to disrupt them. Is that something they're trained for? It's very smart. It makes sense as a methodology. And then the second one is an allusion to Battlestar Galactica. So in Battlestar Galactica, there's this fantastic scene uh, in season three where the Battlestar Pegasus jumps in, does a self-sacrifice, rams into a Cylon base star, and it's it's like launch pod breaks off and hits the other Cylon base star, blowing it up, right? Very similar kind of moment here with these drones ramming into each other at the last second to just save our heroes from being killed. Uh, I thought it might have been a connection. Unsure, but it's a pretty famous scene from BSG. That, that first one you mentioned about using their, their jet wash, I've seen Top Gun. Yes. I know how that works. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a legit thing. So it might, some people think that's just for the movie, but no, that's a legit no, thing. No, that's, yeah, that's legit. All right, cool. So we cut to John Luke finding the Renee staggering about, uh, and, sh and Renee calls out to John Luke by name. She collapses. Then she does the whole little face shimmery thing, and we reveal that oh, it was really Talon all along, and she's dying. Uh, Picard tries to convince her, hey, you've got to have some medicine or some med tech or something that can save you. And she's like, nah, it's too late. I've served my purpose. I accept this. And uh, she comments about how she was so happy that she finally got to talk to her. Her eyes were so beautiful, and like she's dying content and fulfilled. Right, fulfillment in having completed her life's work, basically. Yeah. It was a very touching scene. I cried. And she tells him to. I, I, I shed a tear, maybe or two, a little bit. But um, it was a touching scene because I think it was, uh, and that brings up that parallel of of her saying, "Absolve yourself." Like this is what it's about. This is what the whole thing is about. And it's 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 a very touching scene, especially the little forehead kiss and the. It's it's a very well done. Um, it's a, a fitting end for that character and also just a really good way to segue into the like okay back to cute kind of thing um and i i just yeah i really i really liked talon a lot and i'm, I'm glad that that she had the arc that she did and i i don't think that it would have been necessary to bring her back in season three or anything like that i just yeah i think it was a really really good way to to end that storyline yeah i think one orla brady character is enough for a season we don't need both at the same time <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we get this cool bit uh, in the previous bit where, where Renee and Talon have been talking where she shows her this like uh, sailboat necklace and that they they kind of talked about it. Uh, mm -hmm. And then in the next scene where we see Sung uh, drink in hand, throwing things around his lab, watching on the TV that Renee made it to space and she holds up the sailboat pennant and goes, Europa, here we come on the wings of those who came before us, right? The pendant made it to space. Talon will never be forgotten, which is kind he, of what she wanted. He absolutely has to be like, how the hell did this happen? <laughs> yeah, that would totally that would totally freak me out if it was just like, excuse me? Like, I mean, I guess I assume that since he knows the Borg Queen, he's assuming that, like, anything's possible at this point. Like, all right, sure. Um, but what I love is that he just throws shit at the wall and glasses break. It's like, that feels like a biohazard like that feels it feels like maybe you have unleashed some shit just then maybe get out of that room and seal it <laughs> like, all he needs is a little sidekick 
Oh, somebody who's in printmaking who like I see nitric acid and go ah like that's it's you anyway it felt it felt like a little I mean I know he's drinking but it's still just very much like sir you should you should leave all <laughs> he needs is a sidekick handing him some glass and says you broke your little flasks <laughs> oh, yeah that's good I like Side that kick. all right so we we see him throwing and breaking shit in his lab it's his lab so I don't particularly feel bad for him uh, but then he hears something from the computer, and his computer starts self-deleting all of his files. Every record, every bit of data, everything is gone. And uh, Corey is shown to be the one doing it, using the headset that she had before. And the computer reports 100% file deletion, all of it's gone, you're fucked, bro. And he, she tells him that for us both, this is for my sisters all the previous clones that he had allowed to die and he had made with this crazy mission in mind. So, yeah, Corey gets scene. her revenge. Good scene. I yeah, And unknowingly kicks off Star Trek history. Potentially. Potentially. So, at the last second, though, he starts, like, rifling through the drawers in his desk and pulls out a interesting folder that looks real sus. Uh from Sung Dynamics, dated June 7th of 1996, Project Khan. Love this Easter egg, personally. Yeah, I loved it. I, I, you know, there was some some chatter about, like, why was it named that specifically, to lead us to that. Like, it's, it's you know, it feels like it kind of on the nose, I guess. But to me, it's more just like, yeah, they're, they're leading us to that. Like, that's the whole point of the thing, and it doesn't have to be perfect. It's just, this yeah, is what they no want lie. you to know about it. No lie, yeah. bashes you over the head with it, but you know what? Yeah. I'm fine. I'm he, okay with that. It's not like he reads it out loud and goes, Project Sung, this is how I can get away with this, or some shit like that. It's just, he pulls out a folder. There's the name. Cool, guys. Move on. It was dope. Yeah, it was good. Well, and who knows? Like, the last 28 years, or 26 years, or whatever, may have been where all this funding was through Kore and her sisters. That's where this confidential funding report is, is talking about, all the money that he got to make this happen as the precursors to what will be the augment and now the yep. somewhat time-displaced in canon eugenics wars. Yeah, it does seem like we're getting a little bit of a soft retcon on when the eugenics wars happened, right? Originally, it was like 1996, and that's when Khan won. Or, sorry, early oh, 90s, and, and then it's over by 96. And you know what? Historically speaking, somebody in the future got a hold of this and went, oh, the eugenics wars must have started in 1996. And yeah. and we know that the, the, the history of the future is really spotty in this regard, but, you know, the eugenics wars could have taken place between the 20. 30s and the 2050s when world war three broke out and the augments said uh we're not here for nukes cheers and they went off in the botany bay in the 2030s 2040s and left humanity to themselves and it makes perfect sense that if you have a clone yeah. who controls a quarter of the earth who who bails that the power vacuum would be nuclear yeah, I mean, I don't mind the soft retcon, honestly. It's just, it's the inevitability of putting dates in science fiction. Eventually, reality catches up to you, and you're no longer correct. It's, yeah. It's fine. Yeah. All right. That just means we need to find somebody who can do a really good Ricardo Montalban for the next uh, Star Trek II release that can dub over <laughs> Lost on the Botany Bay from September 2043. Instead of 1996. September, 2043, like it's just like a really shitty dub. 
<laughs> from the I mean, year 2043. In yeah, Earth's like time. <laughs> it's like, like Siri. Oh, that would be hilarious. <laughs> no, I mean, it. Like, like it's clearly a change in canon. I just don't care. It's 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 something that has to happen when you just move forward. Now, so. There is... Yeah, that's, there, that happens. There is something to be said about the unreliability of knowledge after a major war for the culture that arises out of the ashes of that war. So it totally makes sense that the Federation would have some weird fudging on the dates of things that happened in the 20th and 21st centuries. The thing that kind of bugs me is that if your continuity is intended to be fudged so that you can, so that it just makes sense, that's great, but don't try to fill it in correctly in another TV show. Because we'll get to that. I, I mean, I kind of feel it like, because we're not going to talk about that here. We're going to talk about that in the next episode. But in, in just a spoiler for Strange New Worlds, you know, Captain Pike talks about this period in time like it's settled history. But it shouldn't be, because if you're going to fudge the dates, the dates need to be fudged continuously for everyone. So Pike yeah, really should ha demonstrate the understanding that Picard had, because we don't they don't know what happened here. And you can't just open that up and say, yeah, they don't know what happened here, and then redefine what happened here. So this is a lot like a Big J's beef, so let me respond a little bit, sure. right? What may have happened is that they realized that what they thought they knew in Pike's era was actually less certain as they uncovered more data as time went on, right? So by the time of Picard, maybe they realized that, oh, maybe maybe those records that we thought were legit aren't, or maybe those dates that we thought we'd figured out weren't correct. So it's a bit less ironclad later on because they understand it better. I mean, maybe, but you get some weird... If you think about that too much, you get some weirdness because you're like 1996 or not 1996. If Pike's right, not 1996. If Pike's wrong, yeah. 1996. Yeah. And so, I mean, yeah. sure, it makes sense that a decade later is our first encounter with an authentic augment. But, um, yeah, that's just that's just something that got me. Like, you can't no, I, open, I up a, open up a loophole that is meant to be ambiguous and then go, okay, now that we've opened it up, let's fill it in with facts. Like, no, maintain the continuity. Yeah. Now, and I gave you this it's example minor. before. Yeah, it's it's not huge, but I gave you this example before, right? But so the Trojan War is something that has only recently been understood to be a real event that happened, right? Like only in the last 20, 25 years has it been fully accepted as historical fact that there was a Trojan War between like Mycenae in Greece and like a Troy, which was actually on the Turkish peninsula, right? On Anatolia, right? For the longest time, historians for the last hundreds of years thought that it was completely a fable, just a fairy tale, just Homeric writings, not a real thing. Now we know it really happened. We found where Troy itself was. We found records that show how many people were involved in certain battles. We found a lot of information about it. We know when it happened, but what we can't find is why it happened. The only explanation we found is the Homeric one, the story of like the stolen beautiful wife of the king of Mycenae married to Paris and so forth. We don't know if that's true, but there's so much missing in this story, but we know that something here happened. Maybe that's sort of what they've got here in Picard's timeline versus Strange New Worlds. They've uncovered enough to understand that, okay, we know these things happen in sort of when, but they're missing bits here and there. Whereas by uh, Pike's point in time, they thought they'd gotten everything. They just hadn't gotten enough. That's acceptable. My best, 
my best attempt to rationalize this for you. Just waiting for them to discover the remains of the Trojan horse. Yeah. Oh, that's truly. that's a fun one. Okay, so cut back to Corey, who's now in like some library in LA, and on her laptop we get this flash of text giving her an address, and uh, she goes to a park, like a regular public park, and she's got somebody who walks up behind her, and she starts being like, Q, I'm not interested in your games, but turns out to not be Q. This motherfucker knew when we interviewed him! He He knew knew it! And he and he did so well deflecting too. He did such a good job of like, oh, I'm just disappointed they didn't invite me back. Because you're in the season two. It's so well done. No, and I just... like I loved the fact that he, when we asked, like, what were you sad about, like not being in the season three kind of thing? And his answer was like, I was just sad I hadn't been asked to be in season three. It's like, but you're not in season three. You're in season two, dude. You. Uh, it was great. I'm yeah, so happy that Will kept that from us. Yeah, and me too. people keep talking about, like, oh, he lied about it. Yeah, what, is he, what do you want him to do? Answer truthfully? There and was, ruin the entire series? Right? Like, there was the so much There was so much that needed to be wrapped up in this episode that I did not expect uh, a Will Wheaton cameo at all whatsoever. No. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised. I immediately went on Reddit to find that he had been responding to people who were posting about it in a spoiler thread. And somebody had asked him, so where does Wesley go now? And he was like, I, I don't know, but I'd be happy to come back whenever they want me to. And I'm like, Please do. and I'm like, what if this is a Assignment Earth spinoff? And he's like, that would be so cool. And I'm like, they're not leaving this thread hanging. We're going to get an Assignment Earth. I know you don't want it because it's two Doctor Who because you've got Wesley the Doctor, i.e. Traveler, with Companion Kore. And the Companion thing was set up in Assignment Earth where you had Gary Seven with uh, Terry Gar's character. yeah. And so it, it might be, and it might be a little too on the nose, and it might la- may not last long, but it's it's out there now. This, 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 this thread is out there, and he yeah. specifically talks about tapestries and threads, so... It was so well done, and I think it was a really good way to wrap up that storyline as well. I think it was a perfect way to do that, because you have this loose thread, as we say, with Corey and and, and that whole issue, and, and so it's a perfect way to wrap it up, and I love that we were all like, eh, it's not gonna happen. <laughs> the last episode. The thing I'm did. most happy about was how happy he seemed to be giving this, yeah. this character. Yeah. Right? Like, there was a giddiness to getting to play oh, yeah. Wesley again for him. He mentioned, I know, in in a video, uh, I believe it was Paramount's video about it, that um, that he said it was the Wesley that he had had on his head for all these years that had been canonized, and that's awesome to me. I think that's wonderful that he was able that he was able to do that and able to to show Wesley as he sees him, and 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 he looked so happy, and it just it was so awesome, and I thought yeah. I totally understand what he meant. He was like, it's so hard to keep this stuff to myself. <laughs> well, I mean, it's also a good way to write out Issa Briones' characters, right? Because we know that she's not back in season three. Uh, yeah. But now we know that Corey is off doing Doctor Who stuff with, with the Travelers. Timey wimey, uh, baby. Exactly, exactly. And we know that Soji, back in 25th century, is off doing diplomat stuff again out there. It leaves us openings not for a regular cast, but it does leave us openings for like a guest appearance or a special appearance by them. So it could be fun either way. Um, just a bit more details on the whole thing here. They actually provide us an explanation for the, the supervisors all the way. The Traveler set up the supervisors to, gra- to guard the grand tapestry of fate, essentially. Oh, that's Love awesome. that. Uh, awesome. It was a lot like Loki, to be honest. 
the whole uh, department that makes sure that the timelines run along. Oh, the TVA? Yeah. Hey, we we were doing the DTI before the TVA was even a thing, so... That's fair. That's fair. And Kevin Feige is a huge Star Trek fan. Huge. He even said that the signature finale of Endgame, where the the six Avengers have their close up with the signatures at the end, directly his his going, I want the Star Trek six ending, make it happen. So um, that's awesome. I'm I'm thoroughly uh, not expect. I, I'm I'm making all the connections between these things because there's just too much happening behind the scenes. Yeah, no, I, I thought it was great. Um, I also really liked the fact that, he, like, uh, Corey calls him, is this your recruiting pitch? And he's like, uh, uh, give me a second, let me finish. <laughs> and that then he it. finishes and goes, yeah, okay, so that was my recruiting pitch. Huh? Do you want to go and live a, an amazing life, extraordinary, but no safety, or ordinary life? Man, I thought it was wonderful. And it's just, he seemed so happy, and I loved, the, you know, the welcome to the travelers, and the, oh, it was so well done. It was such a good way to wrap up that storyline and a good yep. way to, to sort of explain a lot of older things and, and, and bring Will Wheaton back, and I just thought oh, it was wonderful. And I'm, so I'm, I'm glad it, that he had fun. Yeah. I thought it was a really amazing way for Will Wheaton to play a traveler that was much different than Eric Menyuk's traveler that he went off with. Because Eric Menyuk was very stoic and data-oriented and a little less emotionally attached to things. And by going off with the traveler, Wesley seems to have found his true calling and been comfortable in that role for who knows how long, because when you're time-traveling, it could have been ten years or a million yeah yep uh one fun detail here that i think is kind of worth remembering when we see wesley and Corey disappear they are transporter beamed out it wasn't some sort of like magical traveler whoosh or anything it was like an actual technological thing which we should be curious about for sure so i'm I'm, very interested i didn't get a chance to look back at the episode that we saw with the 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 young FBI young FBI CIA agent when he witnessed the Vulcans beam out, I don't know if it was the same transporter beam. I want to go back and watch it because if it is, it may mean those Vulcans were supervisors. I think it was just a regular yellow orange TN or sorry uh, Enterprise era transporter beam for the Vulcans. But you're right. I'd have to go back and look at it. I mean, this is a very yellow orange transporter beam. Yeah, I was wondering that as well. So, yeah, because I was yeah. going to say that's, that sounds would, pretty similar. It would it would retroactively make those Vulcans' presence on Earth a little more understandable. Uh, I don't know about that. I mean, we know that the Vulcans have been studying and looking into Earth stuff since Carbon Creek, which is a good twenty years before this young True. FBI guy. So. Uh, yeah, Carbon Creek took place in like nineteen fifty, late nineteen fifties. Yeah, and this kid, the the the, the actor is sixty two years old. So if he had been about ten years old, that would have put uh, put the Vulcan encounter around nineteen seventy. Yeah, that was about my math too. So I mean, it's still the Vulcans probably checked out Earth a few times. They were just trying to avoid actual first contact because of their prime directive that they invented, as Spock reminds us in Strange New Worlds. So yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Anyways, uh, I thought that this whole scene was lovely. I am very happy. There was a complaint in the community, though, about, like, Star Trek becoming too small when we wrap up loose ends, like, who are the supervisors by? And I'm like, 
I disagree. I think that wrapping up loose ends actually provides comfort if we don't ever see this again. If we never get the Assignment Earth TV show, at least now we know where that idea came from and there's still room to expand it, but by understanding it better, it's it's closure if you need it. Right. So, yeah, I agree with that fully. What do you think, Dag? You've got a pensive face on. Um, I, I don't think I disagree with that. Um, okay. There are times when I feel like there's too much... There, there are times when I feel like the universe becomes smaller if there's too much connection with things that have already been established. But in this case, you know, the, the supervisors have been lingering for 60 years. The travelers have been lingering for 28. So you can connect those guys. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that. One of my uh, favorite things is when beta canon or secondary canon stuff like starts tying up loose ends. My favorite example of this, and this is a short tangent, I promise, is Star Trek Online actually wraps up who is future guy in Enterprise by tying it to the Krenim and Voyager, the Vorgons from TNG, and the Terran Mirror Empire uh, from uh, Enterprise as well. They And the Sphere Builders too. All those, like where they came from, get tied up by an STO plotline, right? And it's it's tight. Is, like, it, is it future Archer, like it was supposed to be? It is not future Archer. I know, I know. But I think that their explanation for who it is is actually better than Future Archer. It makes more sense this way. Well, if I can uh, continue to endure the UI, I will get there eventually. Cool. I won't spoil it any further then, but it's a it's a solid plot line. You'll get there. All right, so cut back to Chateau Picard, and uh, Ricardo is running around with his little toy rocket. Rios is off collecting all of their butterflies, all the broken equipment, and... Uh, well, that's when they come to terms with the fact that I guess we're stuck in the 21st century. We'll probably die of a nuclear holocaust. Meh. It's kind seven. How does money work? Yeah. <sighs> I love that, that. That was a good line. Yeah. Okay, uh, so then we get uh, Ricardo wanting to show Rio some rocks. He's got this real dad-like energy to him about like, oh, those are neat rocks, kiddo. Uh, which was great. Um... Seven remarks that Rios has never in his life looked that happy. Again, builds up more if he's going to stay, which makes me sad because I love Rios. <sighs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And then we finally get that lovely moment where Seven and Rafi are alone together and not wanting to feel like they need to spend every minute together, but they need to figure something out. And then Seven's like, okay, stop talking and kisses her. Go on. I just think they're neat. I immediately went to Twitter and made a post about it. I absolutely love uh, Jerry Ryan and Michelle Hurd's chemistry on screen. I love their performances. I love how real that they try to make it. I love that they seem to know kind of the stakes of it and know how much it means to us. And it's real. It's well done, it's good. It's bisexual representation on screen, which is not something that happens very often. And it's something that I think is really important to remember about them is that they are bisexual women. That's a huge thing. Um, and I, it's, I, I just, I, I love it. I love, I love them. I think they're so cool. I think it would be upsetting if they didn't have like some sort of their own thing. But at the same time, like, I don't know what would happen there. I don't know how they would make a spinoff with it, but lesbians in space, or not lesbians, excuse me, bisexual women in space, sign me up. Ed, sign me up. I, I'm so down for it. Just gay women in space. Also, I think that um, 
Michelle Hurd gets a lot of unnecessary hate uh, over it, and I um, uh, die mad about it because they're in love. Speaking of die, die mad. mad about it, speaking of die mad about it, so I'm a bit of a masochist, and I sometimes tr check out like the the shitty Star Trek subreddits, like Star underscore Trek or shitty Daystrom, and they whine about these things. The amount of salt from these people bitching and moaning about like it felt so forced. I don't see the chemistry. Like, how do they even like what each the other? They're so watching? different. <laughs> yeah, I don't get it. Oh, why? Dude, to me, it none of these people have ever experienced. Uh, I'm just gonna be honest about it. None of these people, from, honest from my 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 uh, my, my perspective, uh, and I'll explain more what I mean what I mean by that. None of these people who are complaining and and salty about it have ever witnessed a lesbian relationship up close. No, I, I live my period. I lived. My aunts are gay, and one of my aunts lived with her wife and I lived with them for a little bit like that and they're really salty towards each other but they loved each other we bicker like crazy and if you if you're the kind of person who thinks that your relationship needs to be dominant subservient get the fuck over it if you're the kind of person who thinks people have to be nice to each other all the time in a relationship you're a fucking snowflake get the fuck over it yeah. shit happens in relationships people are salty towards each other but the point of the relationship is that you love each other enough to endure it get through it come out awesome on the other side love is hard too love is work and i feel like a lot of people like I, you know because we don't get a lot of like ugh, how do i put this i feel like part of the reason i love seven and rafi so much as a relationship as a couple is that it's real they have both been through hell they're grown women who've been through shit they've loved and lost and you know had problems with addiction and have lost people that they loved and they're trying to figure out okay i like you but also trauma and if that's rough that's not easy to do um especially considering the last person that seven loved killed her son so like it, it's a little iffy here and there you know and i and i think that that's what makes it real that's what makes that chemistry real is, is they bicker like an old married couple it's adorable and i love it and i and you know, sometimes it's rough and sometimes it's sweet. And I also love that uh, in the end of it, like Rafi's the awkward one about it. And it's just, ah, it's so good. It's so well done. It's no. so well done. And I just, I love it so much. And also the chemistry is there and fuck all y'all who says it's not, you're wrong. They spent yeah, the whole no, freaking season bickering about how wrong. to have a better relationship. So as an, <laughs> as an actual bisexual in this matter, right? Like the way that relationships work in both right isn't always going to be the same but there's no super consistency to it right like not all gay relationships are the same right not all straight relationships are the same right. if this is the relationship that these two women have found with each other and you know some sniping and then some love back and forth is how they decide to show their emotions towards each other that is healthy for them let Very. them have it and that last bit in this scene where uh uh raffi starts asking so what is where does this put us like what, what what's next like where do we go from here and seven's like no let it breathe just leave it alone just let it breathe it's <laughs> so realistic uh, it's as, so real it's some as someone who's been in that moment and recently where it's like okay so should we have the talk now or like what are we what do we do here you know i mean something you just need to like chill let your emotions settle for a bit and then we can talk about it after. yeah so i get this whole i buy this whole relationship but then there's yeah, just that so one important. there's that one little whiny niche that's like this didn't cater to me it sucks well 
Not everything has to cater yeah, to you. Yeah, sorry the dolls didn't kiss the way you wanted, bro. Like I don't like I don't know what else to tell you. My my other thing I think is that everybody was expecting like the lovey dovey or the people that say there's no chemistry always expect like the lovey dovey stuff or whatever. It's like they're trying to fix the future right now. They're not Yeah worried about that. And also like she just Rocky just lost her like sort of son. So like maybe let her deal with that at the same time that they're also dealing with this. I just I you know, and also I think that there's a lot of uh there's a problem with uh fetishizing. Um gay female relationships in television and so a lot of them were i guess upset that that like that they weren't getting enough of that or whatever i feel i did i, I did get a couple of men in my comments talking about it kind of in that did, manner and it's just like no renzo no. did i send you the meme yes and i sent it to Susie. yeah you sent it to a, Susie. so so for the audience i i it's made really, I, I made a meme it is absolutely gauche um it, it is tremendously gauche, uh, but it's the the meme of that, that superhero who like doesn't know which button to push. Um, like I don't sweating know and how dabbing. better to describe that that meme that goes around. But option one is incels complaining that it's that start that about the woke kiss in Star Trek Picard, and option two is incels fapping to the woke kiss, the woke <laughs> lesbian kiss in Star Trek Picard, <laughs> and it's just like. Yeah, y'all can't. Y'all, y'all live in a world, oh. and it's not the real world. It's it's, it's the world it's, where you're offended by your own thoughts. It's just yeah, spelled T H O T S. Um, I, uh, it's so gross, and I just I genuinely think that that's that's true. It's just like oh, like if if a lesbian relationship in a show isn't like hot enough for them, then they'll complain about it. There's... Like then they'll talk. Then they'll call it woke. It's like uh, shut the I'm... hell up. I'm I'm just I know I know this is treading in a territory we don't usually go into because we don't talk about sexual situations a lot on this show but that there's a reason why Pornhub releases their demographics every year and every year the south is is overwhelmingly looking for gay porn <laughs> There's a reason for that and if you're Repression listening or watching <laughs> and you don't believe me and and, and you if, if first of all if you're too much of a prude to google it like oh. google pornhub's demographic results learn something but <laughs> but if you're if, if you don't i'm gonna pull a word from lavar burton don't take my word for it google that shit because yeah. it's real and it's, it's consistent true. year over year oh, the I'm, same I'm people the who want that confirm. shit to be illegal are the people who are googling it en masse because you can't it's, tolerate yeah. yourselves I also Get just want to like mention briefly that there was, and I listen. This is Twitter drama. It's a mess, but it pissed me off, and I'm gonna talk about it briefly. No, I think I, I know what you're talking about. You know what I'm talking about. I made a post about uh, Jerry and Michelle separately, and I praised Michelle Hurd for portraying such a strong character. I love Rafi. I adore her. I'm so excited to get to see her again in season three. And someone made a post tagging all of the other actresses in the show except for uh, Issa Briones. All of the other white actresses in the show specifically to tag Michelle Hurd and tell her she was a bad actor, essentially. What the fuck? Like, it, I, it just, it's amazing to me that that one scene just and this... petty angry, cruelty that yeah. people go to to be dicks. It's just, anyway, I, all of that to say, Michelle Hurd, legend. She's amazing, she's very kind. Is that... Genuinely seemed like she was having a lot of fun in Chicago. And just, I, you know, I, I don't understand, I mean, I do understand why she gets hate, it's because people are awful. But 
I, it, it was awful. It was a horrible thing to see, and I'm so glad that so many people came out in support of her and liked my tweets. And 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 that jerk can die mad because yeah, Michelle Heard got it, paid. That's die all we gotta yeah. say. That check cleared, baby. <laughs> that check cleared, and I'm so rule, proud of her. Rule number Get one it. of the internet is: if you can be an asshole, someone will be an asshole. Yeah, I know. But oh, oh. Cool women in space. You gotta love to see it. Yeah. I love to see it, and the rest of you who don't, die mad. So cutting to our next, or cutting to the end of this scene, right? The last bit on the scene Finishing a 20 is, minute discussion yeah, about women. About kissing, uh, love it. Uh, <laughs> Raffi starts wondering, where the hell did JL get off to? Uh, and then we cut to Picard, who's got the skeleton key in hand, and he walks up to the door of the room where his mother in the future hangs herself. He finds the loose stone where he knows he as a, as a kid finds the key, and he reinserts the key that changes his life and hides it there again. Where it's probably going to stay for the next 400 years until he as a kid needs it, uses it to allow his mother to hang herself. Well, you can bet yeah. that as soon as Renee gets back from her flight, that probably inspires the family to reclaim the house. It wouldn't surprise me if the house served as a, kind of an underground railroad, railroad for refugees trying to escape the war in Europe. Yeah. Wouldn't shock me. But yeah, so she, uh, he hides the key again, and at that moment we finally hear from Q. We hear, bravo. Destiny, left for the little boy you will become in the future to find. Love that. So we show Q understanding the significance. He set this all up. He knew what was in motion. This all comes back around. And... Uh, Card walks to the solarium, and Q is just sitting there alone, waiting for him. And he starts asking him, what would you have been like if you had grown up with your mother? Uh, would your shame have instantly been lifted? Uh, if you destroyed the key now, would you feel better? Right? All these unanswerable questions are laid, to, laid bare. And then we get this reminder that the whole point of this from Q was know thyself. It wasn't about preventing some galaxy-ending catastrophe, which he repeats later on. It's just about know yourself. Know why you do the way you do things the way you do, right? Um, so it's a very touching moment. And then he even <laughs> points out that Talon dies in every timeline, but only in this timeline did she get to meet Renee first. Yeah, I thought that was really, that was a good, a good detail. That was a really, really sweet detail, I thought not no no galaxy threatening circumstances except for the fact that the whole of the future became evil authoritarian imperialist <laughs> humans that's true only with his meddling though right that wasn't because of the card's so, choice back way one way or so the other speak okay on that that's subject true. on the meddling let me let me take two minutes on that meddling the video that i mentioned earlier that i'm working on there has to be a universe where Q medals and Guinan doesn't know about 1893. That's so the only concession I say, that I have to that I have to define there. I would say that if this were a normal situation, I believe in multiple worlds, right? So every choice spawns a new parallel universe where that choice is made. Infinite numbers of universes exist, right? I don't know if universes or changes or causalities by Q follow that rule. So That's if true. Q is the one who meddles, do we know if that creates a causal shift that creates a new universe? 
I don't know. Q can make and unmake universes on a whim, so maybe he chooses well, that this sticks here. And Q can make and unmake universes on a whim, and Picard's statement that he didn't take us to an alternate timeline, he changed our own timeline, could be unreliable narrator. Last yeah. I checked, Picard was not an expert in quantum chronodynamics. Um, and so you'll end up with the minutiae pegging on whether the statements that can we be reliable or unreliable. And uh, if you're trying to make sense of it with reliability, you're going to be disappointed. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those moments where you just kind of have to put aside the temporal mechanics of something because it'll give you a headache. And just kind of like accept it at face value. And, you know, that's hard for us Trekkies because we're all nerds and want to make everything logical sense, and myself included. Um, but you, there's not enough information to make it make logical sense. There's not enough. You can fill in some gaps here and well, there with your headcanon, but... And time travel in Star Trek has been myriad unreliable. You Sometimes you have open loops. Sometimes you have closed loops. Sometimes you change the prime universe. Sometimes you spawn a new timeline. It, it's just not reliable or predictable to determine which method of time travel are we going with today. I would just say I prefer this method... Sorry, Star Trek's myriad of time travel methodologies to what we saw in like Avengers Endgame I thought that that whole like oh if you go into the past that's your future so it's subjective time travel not a fan of that that interpretation of time travel I think that is more headache inducing than anything Trek has ever done it absolutely I is I tend to agree someone yeah. who just watched Endgame again today yeah it's, hot. it's difficult alright so a bit more commentary on this scene is just the whole uh Picard and Q talking about this whole thing of like why it mattered right like this interrogation of why did you do this like what was the rationale and Q's whole like nothing on the universe level it's just about one life one life is enough for me to do this and uh, that's very touching that Q cares about Picard so much after their decades from Picard's perspective of interaction that he cares enough to help Picard get over his like trauma, essentially, and overcome it in such a way that it makes him a better person. That's really touching. From like it's a, a good scene. It's really really nice. And I'm going through a bit of trauma myself at the moment, and just having had to reach out to friends over the last couple days has been very nice. Just to hear like words of reassurance and comfort from people to the point where like yeah, it's it's been a rough couple days for me personally. So. It's nice just to have like that conversation and for Picard to get that from somebody like Q is significant. Especially when Picard never saw Q as a friend. Picard saw Q as an adversary, as a threat, as a danger to the universe as we know it. And to suddenly find out that you've misunderstood him all along and really he was trying to just help you is a major shift for both Picard and the viewer's understanding of Q. So I really like this bit. Uh, and then uh, Q gives the line, even gods have favorites, John Luke, and you've always been one of mine, is <laughs> so good. And then he states that my time is almost up, the whole he's dying thing, but I've got one last surprise in store. Loved this whole scene. Truly, all of it was wonderful for me. Yeah, it's great. Tried. It's really now, awesome. I watched this episode before my little trauma that's going on recently, so like, recontextualizing and thinking about it now again is again 
emotions blowing up so it's all it's all been really good um you're supportive here, bro thanks no i appreciate it uh cut to our next scene where picard is walking into the living room um seven and all of them look up and ask what's up like what's wrong are you okay and picard goes nothing is wrong in fact good news and he leads them all outside of the chateau q is there and raffi is like q mm-hmm. she goes up like as you show him yeah ch- like grabs him by the throat and q's like eh, in my weakened state i mean you might actually be able to kill me helping you sending you back to the future definitely will uh well that was yeah, fun. I, I can we talk about the brass balls on this woman? I to mean, just a, walk up to Q, it, like, fuck you, motherfucker! Like I just it. It's the same brass balls that uh, Cisco had when he punched him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, indeedy. I just great. I love uh, I love Rafi. I'll never shut up about Rafi. But yeah, the the just the the balls on this woman just be like I feel, what the fuck. It was so nice. I mean, and Q also shows a sense of humor in this too, right? Like. <laughs> She she gets mad at him about like what about Elnor? Why did Elnor have to die for all of this? And his answer is like, who? That's definitely yeah. within Q's sense of humor. And then when she accuses him of leading leading to his death, uh, he defend he snaps back like, uh uh-uh. it was actually her ex her husband her idiot husband that shot him, not me. Again, very much in Q's character to just be like technically correct kind of asshole. Yeah, so, we, we got we got those little Q moments of just like, actually, no, uh, not my fault and not my problem. Mm-hmm. So uh, he tells them that he's going to send them all home. He asks them if they're all ready to go. And uh, they're all standing there. And we actually see Teresa and Ricardo in the background of these shots, kind of like following us all along. And Rios is like, you know what? I can't. I'm staying here. Which is sad for me because I fucking love Cristobal Rios. Oh my gosh! My favorite character from this. Yeah. yeah, I'm so sad. Yeah, I'm gonna miss him. Chris, I know why, and it it was explained well, but I still hate it because I'm gonna really miss him. Yeah, but the dude's been through a lot. He spent ten years like in a depression due to the events of what happened to him on his former ship. On the Ibn Majid. The yeah. Ibn Majid, and it's then... it's a fresh start. Well, and then, you know, so Starfleet forgives him, and a year later, he's a captain on the Stargazer. Like, it never happened, but he didn't really want to be on the Stargazer. And we even talked about, like, his demeanor on the Stargazer was a little wild. Cigars on the bridge, you know. But not smoking it, mind you. Well, not smoking it, maybe, but still just a little, uh, I'm not going to say out of character for Rios, but out of character for the role of captain on uh, a capital ship. Yeah. Especially when, like the drunken ex-girlfriend shows up and takes over the science station on the captain's order. God, that was so good. Not, that scene was but, so good. But not bad. Because she was right. Very true. Very true. But that wouldn't have happened on Picard's ship, which is what I'm, which is what I'm trying to say is like a lot of the detractors would pinpoint this as like why is this so different? This is so bad. Like there's a reason it was it was written that way. Rios was always going to to take this path. And we had to yeah. show that from the start that he didn't he didn't really fit on the bridge of a ship in no, this yeah. way. I agree. That being said, when we did see him in charge of the Stargazer, I think he was doing a pretty admirable job. Same. He had a good rapport with his crew. They trusted him. They relied on him. Uh, he, they just he didn't listen very... when he told them to stop firing? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's that moment. There's a panic There's going. that. <laughs> oh. 
there's a panic kind of moment there with a board queen on your bridge, but yeah. I love I love all the instances just going shit shit like and he's, he's trying to tell them to stop and they're like actually uh no. Like <laughs> thanks for the advice, Cap. But yeah. no thank you. So we get these touching goodbyes. We see Raffi hug him. Uh we that see That was sad. Yeah, we that see That was card. upsetting. The card tells him to make a good future, right? Like they have all these little moments there. It was great. And yeah. uh um, there was a there was a thread about that was complaining like Rios is on Earth for three days and decides to give up his commitment to Starfleet to go off with a girl and I'm like uh, do you remember the price do you remember Meridian do you remember uh, the Masterpiece Society like in each of these episodes a main character falls in love in the course of a weekend and decides to question their oath to Starfleet this is totally Star Trek like whether or not it's real it's Star Trek. And it just reminds me that none of you have rewatched TNG since you were eight. <laughs> I've rewatched TNG. Not, not, not the, the two of you. Time. Not the two of you. The people making got the it, argument it, it, it. that this doesn't make any sense. It's like rewatch the show. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense as an adult, which is why I think you haven't watched the show since you fantasized about it when you were a kid. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And I, I just, it, it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense to me. And it, it, wraps up well and it's sad because i don't want to lose rios as a character but it it makes what it makes a lot of sense for him i also just i at this point you know rafi has lost elnor and is about to lose her oldest friend and it just ah, you know it's it's so sad to watch her realize that and and, and hug him and and just cry and what about her warning to teresa he's a handful <laughs> piece of cake love that <laughs> It's so much, but I love it. wonder how many times Teresa just sedated him. Like, you can't deal with your shit right now, Chris. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Did she keep yeah. that little tool do- doohickey that he gave her for Picard? Oh, my God. Look at this. I just Ma- wave it in Mouse front of your control. brain, and you're better. The Mickey Mouse control. There was a, a lovely little moment there uh, that shows us that Q definitely is losing his touch a little bit, where uh, he goes, it was most unexpected that Rios would choose to stay behind. Typically, Q knows what everybody's going to choose before they choose because he's Q, but this time he seems surprised by it, which lets him say that that should leave me enough energy for a surprise, a gift. And uh, he bids Picard farewell. It's time to go, but not alone. Isn't that the point of all this? And then he says the see you out there line, which is the same line that we heard from Q in All Good Things at the end of that. And then he gets a good hug. I cried here too because I'm yeah, a little softy. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, same. It was sweet. I I thought it was just oh, it was such a good way to wrap everything up, and and it was a beautiful send off for for Q, and 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 of course watching the send off, uh, watching John Delancey's send off uh, behind the scenes. I think uh, Terry posted it. Um, was just it was so wow. Um, yeah, it was really, really well done. I, I have no notes. I love it. There Anakin. was a great moment there where Q seems surprised to get the hug, and I was here for it. I, just that moment of like, oh, I didn't see that coming. I love it. He was happy. Like, it went from surprise to happy in like a half a second, but it was really well acted. John Delancey's a master, so I have to I have to think about this from the perspective of a multiversal entity weighing the the odds of the universes and knowledge and being like only in one universe does rio stay behind only in five universes 
does Picard actually hug me? And wow, what a gift to be in one of those universes where not only does one of these things happen, but both of these things happen. Or again, maybe it's because it's a universe that he's manipulated and created for the purposes of this penance, and there's only the one universe where it could happen, and he doesn't actually know where it all goes. Maybe. Maybe. I like talking about Q like uh, like Dr. Manhattan, because Dr. Manhattan is aware of his presence in time throughout his existence. So he's kind of a slave to his knowledge. He knows what he will or won't do, when he will or won't do it, how he will or won't do it, and how much he reveals or does not reveal to the people around him about it. And he can't change that path. He's locked in. And that's just something that really amuses me about 4D entities. Like, if, if they were aware of everything they did, or omnipresent, I guess I would say, you're locked in. Yeah, I feel like we get enough moments where, where Q is surprised by a choice that somebody makes where I don't think he's quite so omniscient, right? Like, even just the Cisco strike is a good example of it, right? Like, he didn't quite expect that, apparently. He just wanted to kind of like an old school fistic of pugilist kind of moment and then whack to the head and he's a little shocked. I mean, or Janeway turning him down for sex. He definitely seems surprised by that. If you're omnipotent, do you have the power to turn off your omniscience? Maybe. <laughs> and if yeah, you, that's, that's, that's the slippery slope. And if you're omnipresent like and you know you're going to turn off your omniscience, do you have a choice? <laughs> all right so so, cut, so we cut to or sorry the scene ends with the snap sound and the white flash and then we're back on the stargazers bridge and it's majora's um, mask i mean a new borg ship <laughs> yeah yeah i mean <laughs> it was it was a good transition we start hearing the non-generation again yep. which confirms that when we heard it the first time in stargazer it wasn't just music for the viewers it was in scene audio that they were hearing that Girardi had chosen to play to show Picard something. So that was a mystery that we now understand better. Uh, and he orders the cancellation of the self-destruct, which was at like one when he does it. And he tells everybody to stand down. And we get this terrifying like scan of the bridge with everybody kind of still freaking out. We see that Gerardi is gone, and so is Rios. So the consequences of this little time travel excursion are real. This mm -hmm. is a closed loop. This isn't an open one that requires them to go on this trip again and over and over and over. So. But we also get uh, flashbacks to his mom. Yeah. Yep. More because of the song, I guess. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, Picard tells the crew to like proceed to stand down. And uh, he explains that the song uh, means something to him. And he once told a friend a lot about it 400 years ago. And that the, this queen has had 400 years to consider them. Then he turns to the queen and goes, haven't you, doctor? And then the tentacles retract from the consoles. And then the uh, clockwork mask re re reveals her face. And we see a Borgified, queenified Agnes Gerardi which is a great reveal, but one that we kind of called episode one. Mm -hmm. um, so that was good. That I'm and still... Chris's staying in the past. Yeah. We I'm knew that was going to happen. 
I'm still real happy that I called how this season would end on episode one, that like, this is the time loop to make it so that he trusts the queen. I don't know why he trusts the queen, but this is the time loop to make him trust the queen so that something good will come of it. So I like that. I and appreciate he has, that. And, and the queen represents his mortal terror. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. His fear of allowing something he can't control to happen. And also you know, the trauma of assimilation. Well, definitely that. Uh, okay, so we get a bit of discussion about how the song had calmed him as a boy, and the queen hoped that it would calm him now, uh, and now Picard understands why the signal mattered, and why he was the only one who should respond to it, and he wonders if Gerardi is still in there. And we get this lovely moment of Gerardi being like, yep, still here, mister. Which it's sweet. It's so sweet. And, and well done. I also love the design. I, I can't imagine... I'm trying very hard to imagine this kind of socially awkward cyberneticist living as a Borg for 400 years. You know, she had like 30-something years as a human being. And how much of her is left after that? So this goes back to what I was talking to Jay about last episode, right? Like... It, typically, if you're assimilated into the collective, you are one voice among trillions. Your personality gets blended into that mix, and it's gone, right? Here, it's a collective of two when it started, right? It's a collective of her and the Borg Queen. So it's probably more of a 50-50 meld there. And then eventually, sure, that collective grows as people are welcomed into this Borg Legion or whatever. But her influence as the Queen is going to be huge. So I would wager that this is a collective that is so unlike the main Borgwine collective because of Gerardi's personality being involved that much. And it's a queen that originated in a confederate timeline. No, it originated in the past. Which originated in the future. Mm -hmm. <laughs> in a timeline that, no, time no, 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 that no, 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 no longer no. exists. But we don't get like the back to the future because your timeline doesn't exist, it vanishes from the present. We don't get that. We don't get Marty's hand disappearing on stage because he interfered with his own birth. What we end up with is, yeah, it never happened, but it was already your past established, so it can't be wiped away, which is or actually endgame logic. Or maybe the Borg Queen knows about temporal shielding, like what they used against the Krenum, and protected herself from being wiped out by the temporal ripples of the change. They've assimilated, it's the Delta Quadrant, they might have assimilated a Krenum. I'm gonna burp. That's a lot. Right? <laughs> yeah. Wow! Really good content, guys. Really good adult content. Listen, oh, I've got my shtick on this show is come up with a ridiculous explanation for anything. So I've got to I've got to keep sharp on these things. Uh, all right. Valid. So uh, Picard asks about the threat that that she's warning them about and uh, what's going to happen, and then she responds that she is here to help fight that but she can't do it alone and uh, she has to take control of the fleet to harmonize their shields and at this point is when the crew realizes holy shit wait where's rios and uh picard's like ah, ah stay on task ensign no don't no time for that discussion yet no um, question only order just go <laughs> right do the thing i tell you to do i'll talk about it later <laughs> yep so we get an explanation that on the other side of like not right where they are right now, but there is a tri-quantum waveform increasing that's going to devastate most of the sector. If not, maybe the, maybe the entire quadrant, right? 
and Jurati Queen explains that she calculated that the only way to protect this sector was to like block what's about to happen. And we start hearing that Starfleet Command is hailing the Stargazer, and if they don't respond, they're going to assume that they've been compromised and engage them. And Picard's like, you know what? Seven, take command. You're our best negotiator. You've got the experience. Here's your field combination to captain. Take the center chair and get this done, right? So all those fanboys who are mad about, like, Seven not getting a field commission or Janeway not giving her a field commission, you wanted a field commission? Here you go, guys. Yeah, and also, it's just, let me just... <clears throat> Ooh, 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 ooh. I love her. I was so excited to see her get to sit down in a captain's chair and do not resist. It's so badass. <laughs> I just think she's neat. That was very cool. Yeah, so immediately Seven doesn't waste any time. There's no, like, John Luke, are you sure? Nothing. It's just, okay, uh, Commander Mosh, tell Starfleet Command, we're here. We're in the active negotiations with the Borg. Turns to Lieutenant Singh, hail the fleet, tell them to let the Borg Queen do what she's doing. And uh, Seven turns very poignantly to the queen and goes, Agnes, be brilliant. And we get the lovely always response from the queen. <laughs> it was lovely. It's so good. It's uh, so good. So before I we... loved this. Oh, go ahead. I was just saying, before we get too deep into the resolution here, what is this thing? Where did it come from? Why did it come? Why did it show up now? Does it matter? And it, yes, it matters for the purpose okay. of answering I think, the question. Don't they mention that like it's going to be a threat eventually? I feel like they did. Well, sure. I feel like but, it's, it's one of those things that like, we might to, see again. To address the idea that this is some weird, uh, ridiculously untimely concoction of the writers, why does it make sense in-universe for this thing to spontaneously appear right after Jean-Luc makes the decision to trust the queen and Q dies. It's the other way around. Uh, it's not causal. It's it's the it's the reaction to. The queen predicted that this would happen, so she presents herself here before it does, yeah. right? The queen's appearance, the time travel from Q has nothing to do with this thing erupting here. It is, all those things are a response to this eruption about to happen, uh, though, I would like to point out that it does show that Q's precognition might have been a little bit limited here because he says that this whole thing is not about some galaxy devastating event. There's nothing like that. This is about one life. But it turns out that the choices he made at this moment do end up mattering for a full sector, possibly. So it turns us that it turns out that this is a more important thing than uh, Q had even seemed to know about, or he just didn't care about that thing. He really did just care about the card, which is just equally plausible. Or he's not aware of events that happen outside of his existence. Yeah, because he's dead. It's yeah. fair. But yeah, yeah, so... I agree with that. Cool scene. Um, I actually think that this thing, because it turns into a transwarp conduit, might be some vehicle from, like, the Andromedans or somebody extragalactic, whatever, but it's a kind of transwarp tunnel that even Seven of Nine doesn't recognize that this Borg Queen was unable to prevent, and the Borg, as far as we know, are the masters of transwarp conduits at this point. Uh, in fact, the only other race I can think of that's even used them are the Voth, so there is some serious uh, considerations about this thing and where it comes from, and we just don't have any answers yet. So, we what may if not get answers. What if it's a first incursion by the 10C? I mean, we never saw transwarp <laughs> conduits from the 10C. We saw wormholes, which are somewhat different. Well, yes, so. that's true. But it's so I'm like, what if this is like their first attempt and they're going to refine it into their 32nd century manifestation? DMA? Yeah, I don't know. That, 
I mean, it's not impossible. I hope it's not. Much here. You know, when I first saw that thing erupt on the view screen and there were like neutrino things popping out, I'm like, it's a wormhole, paw rates, we're getting DS9, let's go! And uh, yeah. I'm sad. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah. it's like, we just expelled another paw wraith. Oh, good. <laughs> Either way, I thought that this whole scene with the fleet like arranging in a grid around the Borg, like Rose ship, the like the Harbinger ship, whatever they've been calling it, was really sweet. I like seeing the shields all in unison. I liked the little like the little surprise gift of Eleanor being on the Excelsior and responding to Hales. All that was great. Um, and having to manually realign the shields for them. All great. Um, I thought that it was a really beautiful scene, even just from like a CGI standpoint of seeing Starfleet ships essentially shoulder to shoulder live together or die together at this moment kind of thing. I was actually really surprised that we didn't see like a ship at the edge. It's shielded in front of it flickers and the ship just goes boom. No, everybody made it through this okay. You know, we should have seen planned this well. We should have seen a triple nacelled galaxy class. Mm. That would have been it, cool. I mean, it might fit, though that might be a bit too world razory for this setting. World razory. Yeah. I also, this is random, but I really like the um, the parallel, I don't know if that's the right word, of when, when Rafi realizes that Q has brought Elnor back, and that was the surprise. She goes, Q, goddamn Q, <laughs> in the same way that Picard did in the first first episode, I think. Um, yeah, it was that was little bitty, but I liked it. Yep. But yeah, so whatever this energy beam that comes out of this erupt as comes out as this like almost volcanic eruption, the shields hold, it bounces off, everything's okay. It's it kind of stops after a minute or so and then collapses back into like a transorb conduit. Very cool overall. And it's seen everywhere. Oh, uh, yeah, so whatever it is, it's certainly something subspace-related. Obviously, it's coming out of a transorp conduit because it's traveling visibly faster than light. So, good stuff there. Um, yeah, I mean, Man, we get that, this moment. That that image on Cygnus uh, X1 of the, the fire dying away and the shield still there and the grid of ships and just the wormhole-ish transorp conduit thing there, oh, so pretty. Listen, yeah. I want all of these shots, like the one in my background, in like 8K resolution, uh, posted by Paramount, not from like TV reduced quality, so that I can make them my wallpapers forever. Um, <laughs> yeah. Same. But yeah, uh, Picard says to the Jurati Queen, thank you so much for saving countless billions of lives. And then she responds again, that was the idea, mister. Uh, again, showing that Jurati's Agnes's personality is certainly still in there and still in a pretty powerful position. So, yeah, the 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 anomaly changes from red to blue, and everybody realizes it's a conduit. Jurati Queen explains that even the knowledge of the Borg collective, so what she had in her memory from before, uh, they don't know who created it. It's part of a greater puzzle. It connects to some kind of threat. And then she has provisional federation membership to serve as a guardian at the gates of this anomaly. That's dope. I love that. So let's talk a little bit about where the Borg Queen has been for these last 400 years. So I've seen some bad takes on other Star Trek uh, reviewers being like, well, if this is the Borg, why didn't she just come through with like a half a dozen cubes, set them up in a grid pattern and protect the galaxy herself? And it's like, guys, 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 
This isn't the same queen that collects that controls the collective. This is a different kind of queen. This is one that doesn't assimilate by force. She's probably been out middle of nowhere, slowly helping people, those who can't, who, those who she can save uh, by assimilation and willingly do so, she'll help that way. This isn't the same cube uh, delta quadrant spanning collective. This is a different, this is a different board. I don't want to call them the, the board collaborative or board cooperative. We don't have a name for them yet other than Legion. Yeah, you but, said uh, Legion earlier and I think that I should know. stick. I think that that's what it should be because yeah. that's what the subtitle's called. Um, but yeah. yeah. I, I think the like the foreign legion like this is like the board legion and i like that this is something different but so, yeah question because agnes quinati is now you know 400 years old in this timeline could she and would you appreciate her appearance on strange new worlds hmm. that's certainly a thought well so let's let's think about Borg appearances, right? So we have the Borg appearance in our generation on Enterprise, right? But those were certainly mainline Borg. And because we never heard, we are the Borg, you will be assimilated, this is blah, blah, blah. We don't actually, the Federation doesn't know what the Borg are, right? Right. In this case, if it's under Pike, if we had some sort of like, they find this cybernetic life form, they don't call themselves the Borg and they just kind of like, kind of act chill about it, I'd be down. I wouldn't have an issue with it. As long as they don't say the words or say the lines, which, these board probably don't i would be okay with that as long as they can't be drawn to a connection to like oh these are the cube fucks from tng how about you to whom are you asking well me because i that's a lot <laughs> um i i think it could be tastefully done i think the the enterprise could come across some kind of civilization that looks like it needs help and then it looks like it's getting that help and the the meaning of the episode is you know we're not the only federation out there trying to lend help to planets and sometimes we're going to encounter places and other civilization other type 3 civilizations out there that have done or maybe type 1 uh that have done this um and we need to be able to know when to relent and this is one of those situations where we need to relent yep let somebody else handle it if they're better equipped kind of thing right makes sense to me yeah absolutely yeah i mean like i said as long as it's done cautiously with like a a, a careful eye towards upsetting other canon i'm totally down with Girati coming back as the board queen in strange new worlds or in like maybe discovery right like i'm down with either one of these holy crap a 1200 year old Girati. Borg are functionally immortal they are but didn't didn't Vance say they hadn't had contact with the Borg in like 300 years or something? Oh, that's right, yeah. You know, I don't remember exactly what the line is, but it is something like we haven't encountered, we haven't had to deal with the Borg in hundreds of years. They haven't had to deal with the Borg in hundreds of years, and the last contact with the Continuum is 100 years after Picard takes place, according to Vance's numbers. Given that Q has died, there might be lingering Q entities out there who will make one last communication before they're gone. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just got to be a, a mystery for us then of exactly how how much time is going to pass between these events. But yeah, I'm maybe they don't even start, maybe they stop seeing Girati's Borg as Borg, right? They start being thought of as something different. So Vance saying we haven't heard of the Borg in 300 years is fine because these aren't Borg anymore. These are Legion. Girati's collective, who knows? 
Right, and then that explains why uh, in the future of Lower Decks we have what appear to be drones sitting in school desks with uh, other true. Federation citizens. True, true, yeah. true. All right, so cut to our penultimate scene. We've got the Stargazer in orbit of Earth again, looking spiffy and a beautiful ship. Uh, the crew is back on 10 Forward Avenue in Guinan's bar. And uh, Guinan immediately, we start the scene with her apologizing to Picard because I couldn't tell you what was going on. But if I'd guided you or set you straight, would have fucked everything up. So, sorry. She knew. Just she like knew. she said in Times in, in, in time Zero, she told Riker, I can't tell you how it goes. It's not done yet. Yep. And then we get this lovely moment where she goes, you're not very observant, are you? And she's like, points to this gestured picture on the wall that shows Rios and Teresa in front of like a, a van or some shit, like just kind of kind of chilling there. And it's like, I never realized they were there. Okay, well, yes. And you finally get your justification for why the medical supply crates had the butterfly on them. So you're totally validated there. Yeah, you're totally right. Yep, the Mariposas definitely survived through to the future. So, good stuff there. And, uh, yeah, we get some explanation as to what ended up happening with Renee, what ended up happening with uh, uh, Rios and Teresa, and Ricardo, even, which was all good. Rios dying in a bar fight kills me. While smoking a cigar. While smoking a cigar. Kills me. Yeah, good for you, King. (laughs) I don't know, tracks. If Rios, let's say Rios is like, what, 40, 45? So from 2024 to 2063, that's another 39 years. So he's in his mid 80s. And he'd be like 84. And so that's first contact. Did he make it to first contact? I don't think so. No. That is distressing for me just because Because didn't because didn't he this is an age question for die slightly younger than it mentioned it's mentioned that he died slightly younger than Teresa did and she died of old age and i feel like if she was if she had died of old age i'm thinking like post definitely post first contact i mean she did he did the world got irradiated that tends to cut down on lifespans here but but she didn't say that he died of you know the 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 lifespan of the time she's at old age and to her she'd have to be very aware yeah. of what old age is for a human true so the I, other point i really want i'd like to, to headcanon was... that you had this hundred year old geezer beating up teenagers in a, in a bar in morocco and up stabbed Weep. and him pointing at the bartender surrounded by these bodies that are dying around him you're like un cigarillo <laughs> yeah uh, yeah the bit that I wanted to point out, which was really cool here, was they finally explained why Renee's discovery on Europa mattered, right? It's got something to do with its genetic material, or something about it is what leads to the cleanup of Earth's environment. It leads to reversal of the deterioration. That's the organism and why it mattered. Love that that is put there, and it makes yeah, sense. Yeah, very well done. I thought that was I thought that was super super well explained. Well, Guinan doesn't bother to ex- everything together. Exactly, Guinan doesn't bother to tell us if it's pre or post World War Three, but she makes it clear that it's that organism that does it. Yep. And I want to think that that organism, because we said before that the organism was sentient, right? Uh, I don't know. I don't think that ever got confirmed that, either way. That was brought up. 
She, yeah, but I just she, don't think it was confirmed. Either. She argued for it to be brought back because she yes. believed it was sentient. Now, if we go with unreliable narrator, the door is wide open. But if we go with a reliable narrator, then the options are like, did did we employ the life form itself in the solution, or did we consult with the life form on the solution? So here's my thought for it, right? So I or Europa is a world that is out at Jupiter's edge, right? It's very far out there. There's very little solar light that reaches to it. And anything that's alive there is going to be under a few miles of ice, right? In the, the liquid oceans under the ice. Uh, let's say hypothetically it survives off of like chemosynthesis or radiosynthesis, right? So like kind of like chloroplasts on plants, but instead of absorbing that, it absorbs some chemical or some radiation. Either one of those is a game changer if you bring that kind of thing back to Earth. There are already some bacteria or some life forms on Earth that do those things, but if this thing is existing in a heavily irradiated environment like Europa, or a really dim environment like Europa, it's going to be a lot better at those things than anything on Earth. I mean, so, it, it could, could be carbosynthesis. Sure, it, it could live off of carbon. carbon dioxide. Yeah. It could be anything, really, but whatever it is, it's just, it's such a different environment to what exists on Earth. It's just got to be really good at that one thing, and that can change how we deal with our environment. So I, I would we'll love start. it. I would love it if they kept it and it stayed as a sample in a scientist lab somewhere until just after first contact. So our, our second alien species was actually this life form. I don't want to call it sentient, right? Like, that's where my debate is on okay. this. I, I, I'm hesitant to guess that it's something like you could have a conversation with right it's probably closer to something like a dog or a cat that is alive living responsive but not what star trek terms sentient this is back to the whole star trek confused as sentient and sapient um true but yeah I, I think that that's probably what's going on here it's but, probably the scientific definition of sentient not the star trek definition of sentient so you never have to worry about it calling you a giant ugly ugly bag of mostly water we're made of meat Home you know meal. the short story, right? Uh, the one about being a, a ghost riding a meat mech that's made out of stardust? No. Oh, boy. We're segueing, audience. Hold on. Oh, something's... Yeah. Something's so, so, Terry Bisson in 91 wrote an awesome short story called They're Made Out of Meat, and it's from the perspective of two aliens talking together about Earth and humans, and it's like, they're made out of meat? No, clearly they've got to have like an electro orbital brain of some kind. No, all meat. And they are in shock that we're disgusting and made of just meat. And because we're so gross and repellent to them, they decide that they're not going to open up relations to us and just kind of like leave us alone because we're disgusting to them. And they keep talking about all the other normal alien races, which are like sentient clouds or uh, collections of ions that talk to each other. And that's life. But meat, disgusting. So they're going to leave us alone. It's a short story. It's really good. I awesome. feel like I may have read it now that you uh, that you point that out. But I'm still just flabbergasted that like on the whole ghost piloting meat mech bone stick stardust thing, like we we taught rocks to think with lightning. Yeah, computers. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, All right. So wild. wrapping up the episode. Uh, they give a toast to family because that's what we are after all very nice little toast then picard tells them that there's something he's got to finish up somewhere he's got to go uh guinan looks at him like oh i know where you're going 
And off he goes. And I feel like Guy is very much the person. It's just a go, go get it. <laughs> go. Yeah, it reminds me of like a moment where my grandmother was trying to get me laid on a cruise ship. <laughs> you so told me like, this before yeah. we started recording. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a great story, but like, mm -hmm. uh, it's just like she knows what's going on and she's like, okay, go, go do it. We'll wait over here. Kind go of get thing. the girl, so, bro. Yeah, fun moment. Uh, so we see Picard arrive back at the chateau and he starts like walking around, kind of looking for Laris. He sees some back bags in the hallway. He walks all the way to the solarium, which has been restored and he talks to Laris. she tells him that it was supposed to be like a last surprise before she leaves kind of thing and uh they have a poignant moment they talk they hold hands and he says that while time cannot give second chances people can and Laris looks super relieved and into this they stand hand in hand and uh they have a really cool shot that i think was really poorly cgi'd yeah. yeah, or it zooms out back. It and you doesn't see it look through. like the same room to me. Yeah, it looked bad. That's that's my objection on the CGI, but it was a cool idea for a shot nonetheless. It was the shot. The thought is there. The shot is cool. I, I'm not a fan of the the room we'll, personally, but it's well done. We'll rewatch it in, you know, whenever we do a rewatch and find out that Paramount has secretly replaced the CG with better CG due to whatever. And they do that for the fleet at the end of season one, too, please. Yeah, that would be nice. And, right. uh, uh, so yeah, that's that basically was, where the uh, episode ends. That was um, just being the ever effervescent, bubbly, pro-time travel person. Like, as much as I can critique this episode, this season, um, I, I absolutely loved that the calls that we made about time travel were 100% spot on. Yeah, I, I've yeah. seen a lot of people moaning about this season or complaints about this season, but generally speaking, I really liked it. Yes, the season gets a little off track. Yes, there are some plot points that are just there to fill in backstory or create some character tension. But overall, I liked where it went and how it got there. Uh, yep. It makes sense for there to be struggles in the 21st century. This show is Star Trek. Star Trek comments on reality, showing the, the, the ice situation with Rios may not have added anything to the plot, but it comments on the inhumanity of the way ICE behaves in this country, and that is a very Trek thing to do. Agreed. Yeah. The I only... mean, so sometimes devices are just devices, and it's not necessarily a good or a bad thing, but they're there, and they're there for you to talk about, they're there for you to discuss. And I, I yeah, I think I think that was really well done specifically, but I think a lot of the stuff that people complained about, it's like, yeah, but it's Star Trek, just, just watch the show. <laughs> it's a fictional space show, it's okay. Yeah, I, just, I mean, if yeah. we can swallow energy shields blocking doom ray from an end, from an anomaly that came out yeah. of nowhere, like, why are you having trouble with the fact that they broke some prisoners out of an ice detainment bus and it didn't corrupt the whole future? Like, yeah, really, like, guys? Yeah. Yeah. And also, women. Oh, women To having, Seven and Rafi, baby. Bisexuals in space. Love that. Our sapphic, our sapphic Safi. Oh, yeah. I just, all right, I just, yeah, I think they're neat, and I'm excited that we get them in season three. I will go ahead and mention, I'm very sad that we don't get Elnor, I'm sad that we don't get Rios, I'm sad that we don't get Agnes again, and I'm sad that we don't have uh, Issa Briones making a return either. That makes me sad. I I know why, I'm still sad about it. 
Yeah, there was a meme that was floating around that was like, <laughs> the top was the crew of Enterprise and the bottom was a, uh, uh, the bridge of uh, the Stargazer with Agnes and Rios. And on the top it had, uh, you know, like Archer and his crew. And it was just like, TNG stole our finale. And at the bottom, Agnes and Rios, it's like, hold my beer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw that. No, I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Listen, oh. I, I'm super sad to be losing Allison Pill. Um, oh, I think that she is a gifted actress. I really like her. And I think that the show is made better by her presence in any scene, right? So losing her in this is quite tragic for me. Uh, and Rios is my favorite of the characters in-universe. I think he's great. The fact that we've got somebody who has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, who's really trying to prove himself, and, you know, he's willing to smoke a cigar when he really wants to, is just like uh i identify with you man right like it's there and it's also like a good strong hispanic role model which there's not really a ton of in all of star trek yep. right so for me who grew up without one it was nice to see so losing him on this show sucks losing isa briones tragic because she's been good in every role she's done and she's been forced to do some very different characters as these seasons have gone on oh yeah i get why um, losing Evan Evagora as, as Elnor is also rough because we just saw his whole like arc laid out in front of him. He's a cadet and he's got so much to learn out there, right? Now, all we know is that these four characters are not regulars in season three, but that doesn't mean they cannot make an appearance in season three. And I kind of expect that we'll see at least Elnor uh, in season three, right? I Never feel like free, he mentioned that know. he's not in it like at all. Like he said, I'm not in season three. So just like Will Wheaton. Well. Just like Will Wheaton did, yeah. Yeah, and so well, that's true. But he said he wasn't in season three, and so now I'm just and well, so I, but anyway, I wouldn't be surprised if we at least saw him. For God's sake, I mean, it would make sense for him to at least if, be there for a scene or two. If season three does it right, they will address this new portal in space, and I can't see them doing that without at least an appearance by Agnes Borg. I agree. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, it'll be nice to see. Uh, if they give us anything more from, like, Rios' story, right? Like, who knows? Maybe DTI decides that, holy shit, this, this guy from in the past was left in the past. We've got to pick him back up and bring him back. Or the Relativity or somebody from those future time fleet ships, right? As goes, oh, he's dying in a bar fight in Morocco? Perfect time to bring him back. And so he appears back on, on the show. Who knows? Star Trek is crazy. We've done crazier things. And I'd love to see something. He appears back. back on the show. They've got some. They've got an old cigar of his from several years ago. They throw that in a transporter buffer with him, and he's rejuvenated. Done. Perfect. The Pulaski the effect. Perfect. Pulaski <laughs> effect. Perfect. But yeah. So who knows? But overall, I'm I'm very content with this season. I think that it started on a high and ended on a really good high. So Agreed. the middle had some muddling, but you know what? Every season does. So. Overall, I'm happy. Yeah. Yeah, good season. Yep. Very well. Any so, final comments, boys? And and, lead, or and everyone. That works. I'm not binary. Guy works. <laughs> dudes. The, the, like, the most, is friend, the most generic. Yep, friends works too. Married to a, uh, an, a mask-leaning NB. This is uh, the struggle. The struggle is real, but it gets easier with time. Apologies if uh, if I offend any of the listeners, though. No. All right. Well, let us know if you have any uh, responses to our thoughts. Tell us we're wrong. I'm happy to argue with you. I enjoy it. Give me something to argue with, and uh, you'll hear from us next time. Yep. 
And thank you for always going boldly with Beyond Track Podcast. Hey, everybody. I just wanted to give a quick shout out to our Patreon and Anchor supporters. Big thanks to Stephanie Baker, S. Tam, Anne Marie, Jim Cook, and Nora Hickson. We really appreciate your support. Thanks for being a part of Beyond Trek Podcast. We are Beyond Trek Podcast. Lower your inhibitions and surrender your years. We will add inspirational and hilarious Trek content to your day. Your attention will adapt to subscribe to us. Resistance is futile.